from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and that's Valdez with an S, by the way, and happy to be here with you, Tuesday night edition of the program, and there's a few things that are going on, right? So Joe Biden was in Hawaii, he was saying all sorts of crazy things, he's all over the place, actually, doing what he does, and um, he he was met with some criticism, but first, I want you to hear what he said, because again, you know, I've been critical of uh, Joe El Baboso Biden, as I like to call him here, and I, w- I want him to succeed, in particular on the economy, right? If Joe Biden succeeds, we all succeed in that respect, but when it's Time to be empathetic with people. I feel like you, you just got to be sincere. And maybe this is his attempt at sincere. And maybe it's just my bias that I just say, man, I can't stand the way he <laughs> communicates these ideas. But a small kitchen fire that you had in, in your house is nothing compared to these tornado-like fireballs destroying an entire city that killed over 100 people. It's just, to me, it's unthinkable. And I, I feel like he's incredibly tone deaf. But I want you to hear what uh, President Biden had to say when he was um, at the uh, Community Engagement Center with residents impacted by the Maui wildfires in Lahaina. And this was uh, yesterday. And it, it just is really, um, again, just a sad case of being tone deaf at the very best. Listen to this. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday, and lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond, and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife my 67 Corvette (laughs) and my cat. But all kidding aside, I watched the firefighters, the way they responded. You know, there's an old expression. I grew up right across the street from a fire hall in Claymont, Delaware. And the expression is, God made man, then he made a few firefighters. You're all crazy, thank God. The only people who run into flames to help other people. And they ran into flames to save my wife and save my family. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. No, it's a Joe. It's a Joe El Baboso Biden is what it is. It's a babosada. And um, that's just a bunch of drivel. Anyway, Joe El Baboso Biden was met with criticism, not just from me and from you guys, the listeners of this great show. Uh, and it's great because of you, not because of me. But he was met with criticism from residents in Maui that said, you know, uh, similar to what I'm saying, that this is uh, it's fake, it's phony, and it's fraud. Listen to this victim of the Maui wildfire, the uh, Lahaina resident, 
saying he doesn't like what Biden said because there is no better community anymore. Check this out. And then, you know, as far as um, building uh, a better community or better homes than what we have, I unfortunately didn't like that um, because only because um, like for our Kapuna and the Lahaina family and for a lot of people that had lost what they had lost, um, there's no replacing that. There's no better. There's no new. There's no better than that, you know. Um, and, you know, forgive me if I might have misunderstood him, but yeah, that, that, it, that didn't sit very well with my heart when he said that. Yeah. And that's putting it generously. But again, Maui residents, folks in Lahaina, they're, they're not happy. I think so many Americans are not happy. And I think this is why you see such an attack on on the Republicans. You know, in years past, the attack on Republicans didn't usually come this early. Right. I mean, we don't even have a Republican nominee while Trump is head and shoulders above the rest of the crowd. And some are out there saying he's not. And look, he is right now. It's the end of August, close to the end of August. Things kick into gear, I'd say, after Labor Day when people are back from vacation and they could start hitting the campaign trail pretty hard. But this um, attack that we see from the Democrats is really just uh, I mean, I just haven't seen anything like this. Honestly, it seems to get worse and worse. You've got uh, the Georgia people all over television saying that, you know, this was a criminal enterprise. And when Trump again, listen, as a candidate for any office, you run for dog catcher, school board or whatever. If you want to contest the results of your election, there's criteria for it. And you can. And you're allowed to pick up the phone and say, hey, listen, I, uh, I don't like what happened. You, know, you need to, to fix this. And in effect, this is what Trump did saying, look, you need to find the 11000 votes. This, to me, is not a threat. It's not anything. He's just saying, look, here's what you need to do. How they take it is is how they take it. But the way the Democrats are painting it, you know, Jack Smith and and, and the feds, but even Georgia Democrats are out there on TV every day as surrogates up for the Democrat Party saying that Trump ran a vast criminal enterprise um, and they're using this uh, state-styled RICO statute to try and prosecute him. To me, it's just unfathomable to think that this is somebody that's running for president. And I, I know there are people out there saying, listen, listen, take it easy, Rich. You're, you're missing the big point here. You're missing the message. Well, what is the message? They think that Trump ran solely to protect himself to be immune from prosecution, because if he ran, then they wouldn't come after him. But the problem is they had plenty of time to bring these cases. In fact, the first case they brought with D.A. Alvin Bragg in New York, we all know, this was past the statute of limitations. So it's not like they didn't have their chance, right? I'll never forget, and I talk about this all the time, but it really is something that bothers me. They always say the walls are closing in. The walls are closing in. They're going to take Trump on his last day in the White House. They're going to take him out in handcuffs. Now I get the hyperbole. I get the hype. I totally understand it. But what I don't get is why didn't it really happen? Why didn't they wait for him to get to Mar-a-Lago when he left on Marine One on his final day in the White House and lock him up then? Well, Rich, these investigations take time, and this is when the facts figured out. No, BES, Bravo Sierra, not not happening. I'm not buying it. They had their chance. They've been saying they were indicting him since since he was a candidate in 2016, right, whether it was Russian collusion or whatever. And again, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I just think, man, this is absolutely crazy. So now Georgia Republicans are working on a, a plan to sanction the rogue prosecutor, Fannie Willis, who's pushing this fake phony fraud case, knowing that it's going to eventually get overturned because it just doesn't withstand the legal merit. And we talked to a bunch of former federal prosecutors, judges, law professors about this. 
the whole thing is isn't solid. But there's a commission that they're putting together, right? Georgia lawmakers are now working on ways to sanction Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. She's the prosecutor that I mentioned who brought the criminal charges against former President Trump and 18 co-defendants who, by the way, are turning themselves in as we speak. And tomorrow's the big day where Trump goes. Some are saying Trump should not post bail. Uh, I say he should. But those that say he don't, let them lock him up. Get the video that they want uh, because, you know, that might actually help him uh, clinch the nomination. I don't know. All I can say is I think Americans across the country, those that listen to this program and elsewhere, they know the real deal. Real hardworking people that are out there in the streets. And uh, we're going to talk with somebody who is uh, a country singer of sorts, right, in his own right. Started out trying to be a country singer and an actor and a model and has an amazing story of how he ended up being a performer, getting locked up himself and achieving a huge level of fame. The Naked Cowboy is going to be our guest coming right up. I'm excited to speak with him. You've seen him in movies. You've seen him in Times Square. You've seen him in cities across America. He's going to be with us live in studio with his guitar. So don't miss it. It's going to be great, folks. Don't miss that. Rich Valdez, America at Night, coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. At night with Rich Valdez. Well, I'm the naked cowboy and I'm keeping it real for you. I'm the naked cowboy. You've got to do what you got to do. All right, America, welcome back. And as promised, it's the naked cowboy. He's in studio with us. We're live in New York. And Robert Burke is his name. You may have seen, if you've ever been in Times Square, and you've seen a big naked man with a guitar and a cowboy hat, his name is the Naked Cowboys in the Tidy Whities. But you've probably seen him in movies and all over the place. I mean, he's a real staple of Americana, and he's here in the studio with us. Robert Burke, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. So tell, how, how does one become a naked cowboy? I was actually born naked 52 years ago. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, I, I was uh, a big Tony Robbins guy. That's I mean, that's what turned my life around. I read a book called Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins around age 17. At that time, I was just working out, trying to be a model, an actor, or a country singer. I was just trying to find a way to get famous. I wanted to be the most famous man in the world, richest, most famous man in the world, most celebrated entertainer of all time. The happiest, healthiest, wealthiest, most beautiful man in the world. And I can go on all day. And I've recorded and documented, wrote my definite chief aim in life repeatedly more than anybody on the face of the earth. So anyway, in 1998, I was flown to California to shoot for Playgirl magazine, a nude magazine. And I was, you know, in shape. So it was like a natural fit. And I thought I'd go out there. I'd be in a ma- I mean, I thought that was like a big magazine. That's where I was. Come from a small town in Ohio. It was something. So I went there. And the day that I was not shooting nude, I went to the Venice Beach Boardwalk in my jeans, a flannel shirt, just fully dressed as a cowboy, opened my guitar case, started playing, was ignored the entire day. The photographer who was shooting me naked said, why don't you play in your underwear, do something different. Played my underwear on day two. People took pictures the entire day. I made, I don't know, over $100 in my guitar case. He called me naked cowboy, and I even got on a news a, a newsreel in L.A., <laughs> My second, my first day performing as a naked cowboy. So that pretty much was the epiphany. I basically combined the three things into one thing. Went to Cincinnati, played in Fountain Square, was arrested, 
but I made the news. <laughs> and the next morning, the Tricia Mackey Morning Show in Cincinnati had me come on. They saw me on the news. And I then had my head already had all my stuff written out. I'm the most celebrated entertainer of the time. I'm going all over the country. I'm going to do this, do that. And the next day, having declared that, I had a beat-up BMW. I, I thought it was a cool car and whatever. Had like 125,000 miles on it. I got in it with boots, hat, and underwear. Drove down to Nashville. Called the police and the news on myself <laughs> as if I were a bystander. The police and news came out. I got the news in Nashville. Went to Atlanta. Same thing. Went to Florida. I went every city all the way down to Key West, Florida. I went all the way out the end of Key West as well. All the way up, all the way to California and back. We're looking thousands and thousands of miles in this beat-up car. I was arrested almost, what, 15 times on my first trip. But I got inside edition, hard copy, those little small pieces became national. So I'm back in Cincinnati like 50-something days later. Oh, I felt so accomplished in my Bay Empty apartment. I'm a dr- I did it, I did it. Phone's not ringing. Going, working at TGI Fridays every day, at night, doing the night shifts. And so I went around again. Nothing was going on. Went around the entire, I did that three times in the course of two years. A friend of mine su- suggested, he said, you know, if you go north and east, you could get arrested every two hours instead of every 12 hours, you know, driving all that way. So I come to Times Square. I found, I just stumbled into Times Square. <laughs> it was so busy, I went to the Royal Motel in Secaucus and came back day two. Day three, now we're at 24 years, nine months, and like 16 days today. Wow. Same parking garage, same everything, same routine. Uh, Happy anniversary. That, yeah, it's coming up November, I think, 12th. Look at that. So so th- that was the formula. You figured out you didn't need a PR team, that you could just call the news and then call the cops. <laughs> Emerson said, he who employs the benefits of the most men's labors is the richest man. Today, everybody has the technology. Everybody has the you know, I have I have Instagram, TikTok, all that kind of stuff, but it's just completely organic. Whatever has I don't do anything to except they exist and I post videos all the time. But everybody else in the world does the marketing, you know, on a daily basis. You know, I do TV shows from all over the, the world. I mean, everything of uh, you know. Well, let's talk about some of that. I know I've I've seen you in a movie. Like I was watching a movie once, and I was like, "Oh wow, it's the Naked Cowboy!" And and you've become this this staple of pop culture uh, well before I'd ever seen you actually in Times Square. How did that happen? Uh, well, same thing. I mean, I have Naked Cowboy, you know, NakedCowboy.com. Naked, and you go to Naked Cowboy, Google anything. It's, you know, countless thousands. It's all me, except for all the weird stuff. <laughs> uh, no comment. But. Uh, you know, same thing. I have a my manager who I attracted to me probably 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 16 years. Todd Rubenstein, and he now runs Naked Cowboy Enterprise. He's also the West Coast distributor for the Blue Island Oyster Company. Our number one selling product is Naked Cowboy oysters from the Long Island Sound. Every oyster in the Long Island Sound is a Naked Cowboy if it's over three inches, <laughs> unlike myself. Now, uh, so uh, we have Naked Cowboy scallops. Now we've had Naked Cowboy wines, Cameo. We do cameos. I'm, I just got like two of them since I've been here. It's like it's like being a chiropractor, but instead of working on a patient for like 30 minutes, I get 50 bucks for like two minutes of happy birthday to you, <laughs> going to the chapel and we're, you name it, you know, roasts, uh, inspirational talks, whatever. It takes about a minute or so and you, so I can go on all day. I mean, yeah. I've just been, it's, it's just been a nonstop proliferation sounds- of the Naked Cowboy. Or as I like to say, the entire created universe exists for the proliferation of me. Huh. But then again, like I said, I'm so mantra-oriented. I sound like a 
pretty arrogant at times, but I nah, just you, believe I own the world. Sounds like, like self-promotion, which is kind of what you got to do in entertainment. Yeah, I'm a Trumpster. <laughs> I talk about me. We get things done, and that inspires other people to understand, you know, into rugged individualism, entrepreneurship, capitalism, all the things that make America great. This is, I'm the epitome of the American dream. Period. You know, that's what I was going to say. Completely it sounds like anything the American dream. Yeah. And that, that's a beautiful thing. So... <clears throat> You you go on tour, you do all this stuff, you end up on TV and and radio and doing your thing. And you said every day you go to the same parking garage. What does a day in the life of Naked Cowboy look like? Uh, every single day, including the day I get up around 6.37 when I wake up, put on, co- oh, the coffee's already on, basically. But I sit down and read my I, Emerson, Nietzsche, Napoleon Hill. Today I'm in a... What was I reading this morning? Actually, it was Napoleon Hill, 17 Principles of Success. Let's again, these are... Timeless classics, yeah. same stuff, but I, I read that, then I put my own, I sit down and just journal, right? I'm the king of the world, I'm a celebrated entertainer of all time, uh, <laughs> everything serves me, I don't get rich, I mean, I don't get sick, I don't get old, I only get rich, I only get famous, uh, every day and every way things are getting better. I mean, it's that kind of stuff that's constant, literally, I was just, I just made a post today on my sites, it has a picture of over 800 journals that my manager has, also my apartment is streamlined, couch, chair, bed, same thing with had wife. <laughs> for 11 years coming up. She's a Mexican. All right. Uh, she's, she's one of us. She's, she's also a naked cowgirl in <laughs> Times Square. She's That's a great. I've seen friend. it. We have franchises. Both guys and girls have worked as naked cowboys all over the country and even in Germany and other places. Oh, really? So if somebody wants a naked cowboy for their party and you, you can't make it, you pay 1% of your one. income, sign a, a, you know, a contract that indemnifies us if you do anything stupid outside of the actual job. <laughs> If that's not stu- seemingly stupid enough. Right. Uh, no, but, you know, they just put their underwear boots and hat on. I've had as many as four naked cowboys working in Times Square while I was there. Titus Gandy was the black naked cowboy. He recently passed away, but he was a young kid who probably did 10 years out. Rob Coffin. He worked with you, too? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, we literally be on four different corners where people would knock me out of the way to get to the real one. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, naked cowboy, I would say, is completely known by everyone. However, the... Actual mechanics behind it, the specifics, knowing who I am actually or what it's all about is, right. you know, that will, everyone will know. Like uh, Friedrich Nietzsche says, a writer does not write to be read. He writes to be re- uh, uh, learned by heart, you know, to be known, period. So I'm not stopping to him, number one. Folks, we're on with Robert Burke. You know him better as the Naked Cowboy. NakedCowboy.com is his website. We're going to continue our conversation, find out what are some of the challenges he's facing with uh, crime, with illegal immigration, and all that in Times Square. Plus, after that, we're going to talk about his um, political stuff. He identifies as a Trumpster. He's sitting here in my in my studio. He's got a Trump 2024 bumper sticker right on top of his guitar. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night 
with Rich Valdez. Well, if you really want to live and feel the way I feel, you've got to whip out your balls of steel. <laughs> if you really want to live and feel the way I feel, you've got to whip out your balls of steel. Metaphor. Uh, that is the Naked Cowboy, folks. He's live in studio. And if you've ever been in New York City, you've seen Naked Cowboy. If you've seen him in the movies, you've seen him on television. He's been arrested more than a dozen times for just doing what he does in his underwear. He's extremely popular, highly sought after. It was hard to get him here, but we got him. Naked Cowboy, when you're showing up to work with your tall coffee and getting ready to do what you do and your tidy whities and your cowboy hat, what type of problems are you seeing in Times Square? When we look at the news, we see problems with uh, illegal immigration. There's hotels that are being overrun that aren't being used anymore. We've got uh, issues with crime. What's it like in Times Square for you? Uh, I would say the most uh, obvious, I mean, the most thing, the thing that I see on a daily basis, and it's not a problem for me, but I can understand why it is a problem. For instance, they have a group of people, or maybe a wife, a, a husband, and even four kids. I mean, it's Kind of looks like desperate situation, although they seem happy, but they're selling like, you know, fruit. No, they make fruit. Shopping cart. Yeah. And and there's like a hundred of them. Well, okay. That might. Well, I walked down to the new past the New York Times building from 45th and I probably saw 50 of them. Now, that doesn't bother me. Also, they have water and they're selling. I mean, there are people literally if I want to drink, I just turn around. Someone's within a. Yeah, that's not a problem for me. But, again, obviously the problem with that sort of thing is that these companies that pay, you know, whatever, they pay to be there, you know. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> paying, yeah, and they're, you know, they're licensed. They're, they're doing the whole nine yards. They're not selling a drink anymore. So I'm sure they, all these places are taking a hit on what they would normally sell as a result of these people coming in and selling on the street. Then, of course, you have the, we talk, you always talk, see the guys on the bikes and the motorcycle, electric yeah. bikes and it just seems like it's completely unregulated. They're just, I mean, hundreds of them. And yeah. who cares, right? It's safer. It's environmentally friendly. But everybody on the drive, everybody who drives a car has a driver's license. They have insurance. They have to approve all these things because if they damage or hurt someone else, they, you know, they have insurance. Well, when you have all these people with no helmets, no licenses, they're not just a danger to themselves. They're a danger to all of us who are paying the bills and everything else to do it legitimately. So you can see why it's unfair. Then you have the uh, the consistent crime. Just it's usually homeless people. It's usually people that are I see every day. They're deranged. You know, I mean, they're mentally mentally ill. So you can be sympathetic, et cetera. But it just seems like it's exponential now. It's like every yesterday there was ten to twenty people fighting ten to twenty people over where their stand was going to be. So there's right. space issues. And and the police Turf got wars. there 20 minutes later. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not no, you know, knock against the police. I mean, it can't be everywhere at once. But I, I see people getting, and somebody got knocked out. I mean, the ambulance came. I don't know if the guy was alive or just unconscious. Right. And I see that all the time, too. It's constant. So everything you would normally see just seems like it's, Exacerbated? Exacerbated. Exacerbated. A mutual friend of ours, Curtis Slewa, he um he was recently locked up and one his first phone call from jail was to me. <laughs> and and we were talking on the phone about crime and immigration in New York City. And that was what prompted the question uh, for you because he's telling me that, you know, things are just out of control and that these moped guys, they go around running around, sometimes they're doing armed robberies and they snatch stuff oh, yeah. and they're out on these little motorcycles or scooters. And 
I, I've seen it, but when I'm in the city, I'm going to Newsmax or something like that. It's, it's not, uh, I'm not really going to dinner anymore because it's a little hectic. Are you feeling the economic impact of Bidenflation and uh, Bidenomics uh, when you're at work? Well, I definitely, well, Monday through Thursday, I've got a lot. There, all the other people, you know, the, you know, they're the Desnudos, which are essentially naked girls. They just have their mm-hmm. nipples painted and a yeah. G-string that shows more than if and they weren't Spider-Man, the Hulk. Yeah, and I've got that, of course. There's, and actually, I just saw yesterday a guy who was doing water, and I, and he was dressed as one of those. He just had the feet on, so he's like six feet tall. Yeah, he's yeah. one of those, you know, like, like a transformer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've seen that guy. And I said, I said, weren't you? He said, yeah. He and I said, he, I asked him, Nuevo de la País de Venezuela, por ejemplo. And he's, but anyway, he uh, he was a water guy who's now working with the other, essentially mostly Latinos. I would say, yeah, or at least they're, you know. I would say they're probably all undocumented immigrants. Right. But there are lots. I mean, there's 30 Iron Man, 20 Spider Man. It's got to be confusing. They're pretty aggressive. And then they got, oh, they're, well, again, I don't, the reason why nobody bothers me is because I don't talk trash about them. But yeah. they're all horrible. They rip you <laughs> off. They're like a gang. And they, I mean, they, they're, they're, all day. I mean, they, they're very hard working people, but it is, it's like a holdup. And uh, you know, other, a lot of whole lot of things like that in Times Square. And it, it's it's on the weekends. I mean, there's so many people that I a thou, I mean, I probably get one out of a thousand people to stop. It's still a five six hundred dollar day, but I feel like I'm being ignored by the entire world. You just have to be resolute, know what you're doing, clear focus. So like I do. I just a naked I cowboy with with a tidy whitey's a guitar and a cowboy hat. Otherwise, you're butt naked with your boots on. And you're getting ignored. In I used to be the crazy guy out there. Now I say it all day long. I'm the only normal person in this city. <laughs> and I, I can tell you, after 20, I'm going on 25 years. I mean, the the real uh, gratitude or real humbling thing about it is that the constant flow of people like, I cannot believe you're still here. You look the same as you did before. You're a model guy. We love you. You represent. I mean, I hear that kind of stuff. To the point where, well, it, I never tire of it. I love adoration. Yeah. I love being because I feel like I put in the effort. Sure. Rick Bettino, you put in the effort. You have a strong work ethic. You deserve victory and raise your self-esteem and you keep going, you know. I mean, so it's a self-perpetuating life, if you will. And it's all – you. so anyway, that two hours in the morning I'm reading, I go to the gym. The gym's about a mile from my house, so I jog there, work out. So retro, go retro. Mm-hmm. Uh, get home, get in a – my Lexus, my brand new Lexus. I'm I'm rich as hell. I've been doing this for a long time. I'll mess around. They Cowboy Enterprise said we have endless endorsements, and we just keep going with that. And, uh, and I drive the city. I do 11 to 6 is what I've done for the last 133 days in a row. I know that because that's the day I don't drink in the summer because I don't need to drink. I don't want to drink. In the winter, I'll use a little vodka and nurse myself through the it's it's just basically relaxes the central nervous system. I have to be 100% responsible. It's not like, oh, it, you know, it, it's a hard line to walk. Yeah. Razor's edge of the now, if you will. Uh, so anyway, it's been 133 days, so I know that, and everything has been exactly the same since then. In fact, I've worked every single day since I got back from spring from Daytona Bike Week where I was arrested two years ago. <laughs> I was like a, nah, that was a world news piece. Same thing for being naked? I just got arrested. I'd been there 21 years. They said I was aggressive panhandling. Uh, John Phillips of Phillips and Hunt, and uh, he's, he represents the Tiger King. Uh, he got us $90,000 for false arrest and uh, working to overturn the 
uh, illegal ordinance. Uh, everybody knows I don't ask for money. They, what was happening is I'm walking down the street and they have a, you know, little, what do you know, little teams of officers patrolling that specific thing. Like when you're driving through New York and all of a sudden everybody's getting pulled over at one corner for having their phone and they're one, two, three and just make cash, cashing in. It was that type of thing, and people were putting money in the guitar, and they came up and said, you can't take money. So I said, I don't care. I'm not worried about money. and could care less. I'm not asking for it, and just went about my business. Well, people just continued to come up, take pictures, and they're sliding the money in the guitar. And I thought, I don't want I was even taken out, and it ended up being like they were kind of being a little rough, and the, yeah. the female officer was uh, you think they more had manly a- than <laughs> your average woman was, I think, trying to be tough. And when she threw me kind of against the guitar, my guitar snapped in half, and it Whoa. looked it looked brutal. That's great video. And then they arrested me, and I was the quickest strip search in town, though. <laughs> I was in and out there in a second. Turn around, bend over, drop. I was like, hey. Oh, boy. Folks, we it are— wasn't, It wasn't pleasant, and it was scary to be in jail. I mean, I was—you know, it's like in the movies where they're putting a line and they'll scratch in the line in the wall. I had, like, 23 of them. I'm like, I've been in here 23 minutes already. It was scary. I didn't like it, but— Sounds it. Folks, we're on with Naked Cowboy, Robert Burke, the Naked Cowboy, nakedcowboy.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about politics, the 2024 election, and much more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Trump took those regulations off the backs of those corporations. Sounds like a good idea to me. Trump's gonna build a wall. That wall's gonna protect us all. Sounds like a good idea to me. Gonna get the economy moving again. We're lower taxes for you, my friend. Sounds like a good idea to me. I just want to, we'll go through that, but I want to point out that this song is the same song I wrote. It's, 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 it's as relevant now as it was when it first happened. He's going to do the same thing, and we've seen the reverse. What, what happens? Absolutely. Folks, we're on with Robert Burke, and we're talking about the 2024 election, his song here, Trump's Gonna Build the Wall. Naked Cowboy, when when you're singing this song in Times Square, what type of reception do you get? Uh, you know, it, it's constantly, how can you wear that stuff in Times Square? The difference between wearing Trump or not wearing Trump, with Trump, I get a marked number of people who come up and say, let me get a picture. I love Trump. I love Trump. That's what I get. I might get one or two people the kind that walk by and can't say the word, but F Trump. I mean, like, <laughs> just literally, it's always the same statement. And it, they're screaming like they literally just, you know, like the worst thing that ever happened in their life. And they, you know, just like everything, the wilder and crazier and the meaner and the more intimidating in person, the less you need to be concerned. Because, I mean, again, you got a thousand witnesses. Yeah. I turn into a little silent little lamb, B E wise, uh, Innocent as lambs and wise as serpents. I just sit back and I take a beat. No matter what, I'm the champion. I withheld. I may, you know, I I might be seething inside. But again, a man has to be able to control, be so strong that nothing can shake his sense of self. 
period. That's that's the goal of life. Yeah, amen. I'm I'm learning that lesson right now, actually. <laughs> You're really putting up with me, aren't you? <laughs> no, not with He's you. He's ready to throw something at me. I'm thinking outside of the studio, but in reality, it's it's uh it's interesting that you have this this um, parallel where people are are very congratulatory for Trump. Being that he seems he's forty percent ahead, uh, forty points ahead, excuse me, in the in almost every uh, poll for the primaries, uh, I think there's a lot of people that think it's a foregone conclusion that he's it. Um, what's your take? Uh, well, indict him once, indict him twice, secure the nomination, real nice. Sounds like a good idea to me. Old DeSantis really had a chance, about as much as me wearing pants. Sounds like a good idea to me. Indict them, convict them, throw them in jail. No matter what you do, Donald Trump will still prevail. Sounds like a good idea to me. It's a new line. I'm still working on it. All right. Indict them one, no. Indict them, convict him, throw him in jail. No matter what you do, Trump will still prevail. Sounds like a good idea to me. There it is. Woo! Folks, Robert Burke, the Naked Cowboy, is with us in studio, NakedCowboy.com. And it's uh, it's it's great to see you use um, humor and music to communicate the political message. But we're we're in a time where there's a lot of polarization. We're seeing uh, other country singers putting out songs, going to number one on things because people really support the idea of you know um, stay off my back I've and out of my pocket. My soul, <laughs> working all day. I've been selling my soul. Help me out. Working all day. For uh, overtime hours, bull crap pay. Yeah. I was singing that all day long. Us, you know, Richmond, north of Richmond. My yeah. dad told me, "Say your song. You gotta." Well, it's hey. funny. I can't literally just play it like a professional right now because I played it hundreds of times yesterday. I just I wanted to learn it, wrote the words. Right. And that's a cool song. It does. You know, and of course, what do liberals say? It's race. I mean, he does look like he could be in a Proud Boys or something. <laughs> he looks like a West Virginia old boy. And there are things that would, of course, it's an implication that, you know, like African-Americans are the only ones that are obese eating fudge rounds and things like that. You know, I mean, it gives that kind of impression. But again, I think it's a There's a lot of horrible people out there. Yeah, In the two minutes we have left, let's talk about uh, who do you think is the matchup in 2024? Do you think it's Trump v. Biden or something else? I mean, I'm not really, that's not my specialty. I, I, obviously, to me, it seems... Just right. looking at it, it's going to be Biden and Trump. How do you think it, it ends up? And again, that's concerning because, again, I'm not going to be one of those den- election denier type yeah. of things. I mean, it just doesn't seem possible that he could have won. But again, that's just that's there's no evidence for that. Apparently, yeah, I, I still you. I still don't know who to believe. Even with that, I think again, indict him, convict him, throw him in jail. No matter what you do, Trump will still prevail. I just see Trump, and it's not even. I mean, I love his. I love what his policies. I mean, I, you saw. I knew when he was coming down that escalator. I, for me personally, I said, I guarantee my portfolio is going to go through the roof, and everybody's is because he is a businessman. He's going to make America stronger, and that's going to make confidence in America. It's going to make our, and it did. And I knew if Biden got in, it would go down. I'm like a hundred thousand dollars went down, and like I don't know, the first like everybody's, everybody's did. It's that simple. Folks, we're on with Naked Cowboy. We're about to wrap up. Naked Cowboy, you are a patriot and uh, and a great guy. I appreciate you. Godspeed to you. Take us out. Well, LGBT's okay, but three bathrooms is a little gay. Sounds like a good idea to me. 
It's gonna go down in the annals. Trump got the spank, Stormy Daniels. Sounds like a damn good idea to me. Gonna protect the cops, cause all lives matter. Throw those thugs in the slammer. Sounds like a good idea to me. Thank God for Donald J. Trump, my friends. Making 2024 great again. Sounds like a good idea to me. I'm the Naked Cowboy, and I endorse this product. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with the Naked Cowboy. That was a lot of fun, Robert Burke. And I got to tell you, he's not the only country singer, you know, turned street performer. Um, there's there's a bunch of country singers out there that are making a killing. John Rich has a new record out. He's doing fantastic with it. Uh, then there's... Um, the country sensation Oliver Anthony, who had that song, The Rich Men North of Richmond. Listen to this. He's making an estimated $40,000 a day from chart-topping music. Fantastic. God bless him. God bless America. The rich men of North of Richmond singer recently claimed to have turned down $8 million offers. How about that? Now, he's a rising star. He's the, the singer who sang that song, The Rich Men of, of North of Richmond, and making tons of cash. You know why? Because people put their money where their mouth is. People are downloading the song. People are supporting his music. And all I can say is, when was the last time that, you know, um, any song that you think, you know, from, from the radical left, was hitting number one. Now you might say, well, all of the other number one songs, but they're not really all radical left. I'm talking about like an AOC type, uh, one of those people, you know, appearing in a music uh, song or something like that. Just, it's not the case, right? Because people ultimately, they just, they enjoy entertainment, right? You may not like Cardi B, but every now and again, I could listen to her songs. And as long as it comes with like a explicit lyrics, parental advisory type of thing, you know, uh, it's kind of like adult entertainment, a Cardi B song. But listen, I'm not going to lie. She's in my playlist. I enjoy some of that stuff sometimes. Guilty pleasure. But I will say, it's just great uh, encouragement for me to see that we're doing so well as as a culture. I always talk about the culture wars on this show because I think we have to stand against these things, right? We have to stand for something or fall for anything, right? On my podcast, I always close out by saying that. It's a quote from um, Lord Acton and... Sir Edmund Burke, and then went from Hamilton, which is um, is the only thing that evil needs to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And and I, I believe that, and I believe we should all embrace that and be informed, patri- uh, excuse me, patriots like uh, Ronald Reagan called us to be, because that's that's how we do this thing, right? You know, like like Sleva, who was on the other day making his first phone call after he got arrested to us. Um, you got to stand up for the things you believe in. Otherwise, America as we know it won't be as we know it. Won't end, but it's not going to be the way we knew it. Anyway, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. The Biden administration swears up and down that gun violence is the number one killer of children. 
We're going to find out the truth. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're just getting started. Keep it locked right here. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And again, at the top of the next hour, it's Open Phone America, where you guys get to call in and be heard. Any topic uh, that we've discussed, any topic you want to discuss, the phone number, of course, uh, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I want to get into a couple of things, because uh, there's been some news that the prosecutors are in talks about having a conversation with Hunter Biden's lawyers about putting the president on the stand. And this kind of circles back to all of those cases, um, including the gun charge that was here today and gone tomorrow and here today and gone tomorrow. So I'll keep you up to speed on that. And um, just yesterday, we saw gun safety groups. They're backing Joe Biden in 2024. Uh, They really don't have any other alternative. And the Biden administration has been infamous for touting all sorts of craziness about guns. And uh, just about 10 days ago, Kamala Harris, who I like to call Kamala Harris, the vice president, vice president Kamala Harris, she, um, which in Spanish means how bad she is. She, um, she just laughs off so many questions about gun control. She harps on gun control, but when it comes down to it, all she does is laugh. Check this out. You've been working so hard for gun safety all this time. You've seen the changes in it. I'm just wondering how you're thinking about this issue right now in this moment. (laughs) Vote.gov. Y'all heard it, right? You heard it, right? Right. (laughs) Say it loud. Say it. Vote.gov. Say it loud. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a couple friends. At least five. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, Kamala Harris, she she doesn't impress me, and and I think uh, it is laughable, not because she's funny, but because she's, you know, worthy of laughing at. <laughs> but this is a, a serious issue and a serious lie that they've been promoting, saying that guns are the leading cause of children's deaths. And to get to the bottom of it, I want to bring in our guest, Dr. John Lott, he's the founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. He's been on before. Check out the website, crimeresearch.org. Dr. John Lott, welcome. Oh, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So let's go straight into this. You got a piece in Real Clear Politics that's pretty good that I was uh, taking a look at, and I'd like you to walk through it to bring the audience up to speed on exposing this big myth that the Biden administration is putting out there saying that guns are the leading cause of children's deaths in America. I mean, it's something that they repeat over and over again, as if somehow the more times that they can say it, uh, it somehow makes it true. 
but uh, you can go to the Centers for Disease Control website, uh, uh, and they have detailed information on things like homicides, accidents, suicides by type, uh, way that people go in and, and have those things done. And if you define children as people under age 18, uh, it's very clear that uh, traffic accidents, for example, are exceed that. Even if you add it up the way that they want in terms of homicides, accidents, and suicides, um, there's an issue that most people don't understand, I think, and that is they think that murders and homicides are the same. Homicides are murders plus justifiable homicides. So if a police officer shoots somebody in self-defense or if a civilian shoots somebody in self-defense, and these are real self-defense cases, it's not really obvious to me why you want to go and count those the same as, as murders that are there. And if you, if you do that, then there are many things that are higher in terms of deaths than, uh, than, than guns. Uh, suffocations are clearly, even up through 2021, are going to be greater than, than for guns, for example. Mm. But there's another big problem <clears throat> that's there, and that is this assumption that if we could just get rid of guns, then we wouldn't have these deaths that were occurring. And there, there are a couple things to point out. One is uh, a lot of these deaths are homicides, murders, uh, involving 16, 17-year-old people who are involved in drug gangs. Uh, I don't think people appreciate what a large percentage of murders are involved with, with drug gangs, particularly, unfortunately, for young Blacks and, to a lesser extent, Hispanics. And, and the notion that somehow, if I, I could ban guns tomorrow, uh, that I'm going to keep drug gangs from getting a hold of guns and f using them to fight over drug turf. I just, you know, it's no more serious than, or be successful than we've been able to stop these drug gangs from getting a hold of illegal drugs. You know, it's not like a drug gang can go and call up the police and say, look, this other gang stole our drugs. Can you help us get them back? They have to go and set up their own little militaries in order to go and protect that valuable property that they have. And, you know, if I could click my fingers and cause all guns in the United States and all illegal drugs to disappear, how long do you think it would be before illegal drugs started coming back into the country? 20 minutes if you're in El Paso? And how long do you think it would be before they'd bring in the weapons that they'd need to have in order to protect that valuable property? But there's a more basic problem here, and that is places around the world have tried banning guns, either all guns or all handguns. We tried it with handguns in Washington, D.C. and Chicago. And every single place around the world that's banned either all guns or all handguns has seen murder rates go up. So it hasn't accomplished what they would hope, and there's a simple reason for that. And that is when you go and you ban guns, it tends to be the most law-abiding good citizens who obey the ban. And, and turn in their guns. And you may take a few guns away from criminals, but if you're primarily disarming law-abiding citizens relative to criminals, you're gonna see an increase in, in murders. It's gonna be easier for criminals to go and commit their crimes. So would you say that it would be more fair, more honest, more transparent to say that these teenagers or, or, or youth that are being 
killed as a result of being in a in a gang, um, whether it's a drug gang or whatnot, uh, should be attributed to gang violence as opposed to gun violence? Or is that not a fair um, assessment? Well, I think there's a reason why they're in the gangs, uh, particularly with regard to drug gangs, because they can make money doing that. I mean, it's the same. I mean, we've had this before where we had prohibition. Uh, 1932 was there's some debate, but I think a lot would agree was the highest murder rate that we've had in the United States. Uh, you had, uh, you know, the mafia fighting against each other in order to control mm-hmm. uh, the sale of alcohol in different places. And, uh, you know, here we have, it's very lucrative, very profitable uh, for them to go and control the drug trade right now. And so people fight against each other in order to control uh the sale of drugs. And you can see as the profitability for drugs go up and down over time, how hard these gangs fight against each other in order to control the turf changes. And, and I'll make one other point. You know, the other thing is suicides. And the thing is, again, you can look at places around the world where people have banned either all guns or all handguns. Handguns are primarily used in suicides. Uh, and yet, while you will see evidence that firearm suicides fall when you ban uh, firearms, uh, you don't see a change in the total. And it seems to me that's what you care about, what happens to the total number that's there. And if people merely switch from one form of committing suicide to another, then it's not really clear to me what you've accomplished by banning guns. But the assumption when Biden or uh, Harris talk about uh, this being the number one uh, killer of children is that they're implying that if we just get rid of the guns, these deaths wouldn't occur. And that's simply not the case. Folks, we're on with uh, Dr. John Lott. He's the founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center, crimeresearch.org. And the Democrat Party is uh, in concert with the Biden administration, fudging the numbers and uh, perpetuating this myth that gun violence is the number one killer of children. And we're taking that apart, doing a deep dive with Dr. John Lott, and we're going to continue that conversation straight ahead. If you have a question or you'd like to join the conversation, feel free. 833-482-5337 is the number, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So the main themes that tend to get books banned are race, 
sexuality, uh, and then to some degree history, uh, mostly black history, but things like 1619. We have done, by the way, a couple of books on school shootings. But but uh, Art Spiegelman's Mouse, a graphic novel about the Holocaust, banned in some places. Um, George Takei's book, They Call Us Enemy, about how he grew, he was a young kid in a Japanese-American internment camp banned because there are a bunch of people who just don't want sort of anything that feels like it taints American history or it brings up things about our past uh, out there. They think that's sort of anti-American, but that's it's just how you look at it. It could be the beauty of it. But to your point, the, the thing most people fear is their kid getting shot in the safe space that is school. If you're really worried about your kid's safety, that's where your energy should go. Not banning books. All right, folks, that's Ali Velshi on The Morning Joe today saying um, if you're worried about your kid's guns, uh, safety, if your kid's safety, gun control is where you should go, not banning books. And again, this is a, another political sleight of hand that we see. But again, always pushing the notion that it's gun control, gun control, taking the guns away from law abiding citizens and really doing nothing to stop it from getting in the hands of criminals. And we've seen that because. The, the parts of police departments like the anti-crime unit in New York City that was uh, infamous for getting guns off the street, plainclothes guys that were very aggressive in, in, in unmarked vehicles, uh, they were disbanded because they said it was no good. And now they have a new version of the anti-crime unit. but They have a modified uniform, but they look like cops. <laughs> so they don't blend in. You see them coming a mile away. And it's just totally ineffective. And our guest is John Lott, founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. CrimeResearch.org is his website. Dr. John Lott, uh, why is it, in your opinion, that the, uh, the left within the media, the left within the Democrat Party, and all of the, their acolytes in Washington continue to, to push this message? Is it one that you feel resonates with some people? Do, are people really buying this hook, line, and sinker that if gun control is going to make our children safer? Oh, I mean, I think there are some people that surely believe that. You know, look, I think the media has a lot to do with this. If people only hear about bad things that happen with guns and almost never hear about the benefits, I'm not too surprised that you're going to have people who think, if I can just get rid of guns, they'll make people safer. The problem is, you know, if you look at the best data we have, it looks like people use guns defensively to stop crime about five times more frequently each year than they use them to commit crime. But if you go and look at the news media, we did a deep dive on all the media coverage on gun crimes and defensive gun uses a couple of years ago uh, in 2021. And if you look at the top five largest newspapers in the United States, the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, the USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, between them, they had a total of 2,700-plus news stories about gun crime that were committed. By contrast, those five newspapers had a total of five defensive gun use stories, uh, I mean, 10 defensive gun use stories, and, and most of those had something go wrong. Either the wrong person was shot or, you know, something else went wrong. And, uh, you know, it really gives people a really – biased view of how guns are used. Um, you know, the vast majority of times that people use guns defensively, about 95% of them, it's not even necessary to fire a gun. Simply brandishing a gun is enough to cause a criminal to go and break off an attack. But if you look at how defensive gun use stories are, are covered, 
most of them involve instances where the attacker has been killed. Uh, almost all the rest involve instances where the attacker has been wounded. Only about 4% of news stories actually involve brandishing, whereas about 95% of cases actually involve brandishing. And, and it's understandable why the media covers these things the way they do. Um, if you're an editor of a news bureau and you have a dead body on the ground, or let's say you have a story where a woman's brandished a gun and the would-be would -be criminals run away, no shots are fired, no crime actually committed, you're not even sure what crime would have been committed. I think anybody, myself or you, would probably pick the first story as being more newsworthy. But just because something's newsworthy doesn't mean that it reflects reality uh, right. in terms of the rates that things actually happen. And, you know, there are lots of other things like um, uh, mass shoot mass public shootings, for example. People have this impression that the United States somehow leads the world in terms of these attacks. And nothing could be further from the truth. When you adjust for population, many countries in Europe have higher per capita rates of mass public shootings than we have here in the United States. The problem yeah. is, again, again, you know, the. I can understand why the U.S. media covers attacks in the United States more than they're going to cover them in other countries. But I'll give you an example. Since you, since the clip you had mentioned school shootings, since mm -hmm. 2000, we've had 10 mass public school shootings in the United States where four more people have been killed. A country like Germany has had three. Okay, but what people don't seem to realize is the United States has 330 million people. Germany has 80 million. So we have more than four times the number of population. If you adjust for population differences, that would be the equivalent of Germany having 12, which is more than our 10. Or you take a country like Finland, which has had two mass public school shootings over right. that period of time. Finland well, has a population. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think their goal is, is just to make this false equivalency that because there's more guns in America, there's more gun right. violence. No, I think that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, there's so many things that are done. You, you know, you'll go and you'll see the New York Times or the Washington Post have a graph that will go and talk about gun ownership in different countries. And they'll look at like 12 or 13 developed countries. And then they'll go and they'll say, you know, the United States has a high rate of murders compared to these other countries. But, you know, you, you take developed countries, there's like, if you take uh, kind of the club of developed countries that are there, uh, they they say there's 36 developed countries. Why pick 12 or 13 from that? Um, right. You know, sure. and there are lots of other countries that may be close to that. And just the, uh, <clears throat> I'll give you one other exa interesting example, and that is if you look at uh, homicide rates. Across all countries, the United States is below the average. We're below the median. More than half the countries have a higher rate. Uh, but in terms of firearm homicide rates, we're relatively high. And it's wow. not, and it's only because only about half the countries report firearm homicide. All right, John Lott, thank you for that information. Uh, founder of Crime Prevention Research Center, crimeresearch.org. Dr. Lott, thank you for being with us. The music means they're kicking us out, but I appreciate you being here. Folks, more to come straight ahead.
is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I want to ask you a question. Do you know what a rad trad Catholic is? A radical, traditional Catholic? You know, the, the real mean, bad ones that go to Latin mass? Yeah. Well, apparently the FBI has been targeting those, and we've talked about that many times on this program. But Congressman Jim Jordan has been threatening FBI Director Ray with contempt over targeting parents, over targeting Catholics for being radical, traditional. We had audio uh, just about a week ago of Alejandro Mayorkas saying, well, this was one person's work product and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. You know, and they said, did he get fired? Of course, he didn't get fired. But, you know, they were, he was trying to say that, yeah, the targeting of Catholics and putting informants in churches was was, you know, it was it was egregious. It wasn't the right thing to do for the um, federal law enforcement investigatory arm of the federal government to do this. And he kind of acknowledged that as such. But yet it happened. It happened on his watch. The FBI is doing it. And it, it's just very interesting to see how this is playing out. So kudos to Congressman Jim Jordan for um, threatening Director Ray with contempt. I, I just think, what is that going to do, right? He gets the contempt. He laughs. He's not going to be putting leg irons like, uh, like um, what's his name, Peter Navarro, drawing a blank for a second, or, or others um, who were arrested for contempt. So wh- where do we get with all this? Well, to help us make sense of it and give us an update on the issue, We've got John Schweppe. He's the policy director at the American Principles Project. Welcome back, John Schweppe. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You bet. So let's dig into this. What What is going on with this uh, confrontation that we've got with um, Chairman Jordan and uh, the FBI playing these political games? Well, you know, we've been seeing it more and more from these intelligence agencies and also this DOJ. Uh, an effort to really go after right-wing extremists, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we saw it a couple of years ago with the parents in Loudoun County, uh, you know, going to school board meetings. And there is a memo sent around, uh, you know, looking to investigate them for um, being domestic terrorists, uh, for, you know, wanting to know what, what's happening with their schools, with their kids. And, you know, this is a similar type of thing. Uh, this uh, you know, the way they phrased it, the radical traditionalist Catholics, these are people who, you know, go to mass every Sunday and uh, maybe occasionally attend a, a Latin mass. And, uh, you know, those are dangerous people. Uh, we have, you know, a lot of folks here in Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia has a pretty strong Catholic diocese. Uh, and, you know, these are people who really believe in pro-life and, you know, uh, the traditional view of marriage and these types of things. And so, of course, you know, this is a target for the Biden administration, uh, unfortunately, and, and, and that's what this is really about. So, um, you know, ultimately Congress, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, you know, Congress has limited power here. You know, ultimately they can, uh, you know, discipline with a, uh, with a censure essentially is what, you know, the contempt thing is. Um, but you do have to give Jim Jordan credit. I mean, this is, you know, he's a bulldog, right? 100%. He's getting to the bottom of this. And, you know, this is where Republicans need to take this step and use it in the elections um, because it is really, you know, it shows how extreme this administration is. You know, I, I look at this and I think it, 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 ultimately at the end of it, what happens, right? 
And, and I agree. We give Chairman Jordan a lot of credit because their role is oversight. It's not law enforcement, and they're doing what they're supposed to do in Congress, and kudos to them. But ultimately, the most that they can do is make a criminal referral to the Department of Justice <laughs> to, <laughs> to do what with the FBI director, right? It, just, it seems like it, it's a non-starter. But, but ultimately, I think the bigger issue here is the American public realizing what it is that our FBI is doing. We're thinking that they're solving, you know, kidnappings and, and bank robberies, which I'm sure they are. Uh, there's a lot of great men and women in the FBI. But the rank and file have been really hyper-politicized, and I think there's a lot of ideologues there that are just making one political power play after the next to achieve whatever goal they have politically. And using the power of the Department of Justice, the power of the FBI to go after Trump, to go after Trump's friends, to go after Trump's lawyers, to go after radical traditionalist Catholics, to go after violent domestic extremists, to go after uh, the parents that have a threat tag assigned to them who are, you know, uh, speaking up at school board meetings because they don't want children to be raped in bathrooms by transgender children, uh, other transgender children. Just to me, this is so bizarre that we would uh, sweep this stuff under the rug and turn a blind eye to these things. But yet here we are. Yeah. Well, it, only under a Democratic administration would we be sweeping a blind eye to this stuff. You know, I, I, it's hard not to think of the parallel of the early 2000s and how the media and the Democrats were, you know, watching the Bush administration like a hawk to make sure that none of the intelligence agencies were investigating mosques. Right. I mean, that was the, mm-hmm. the talk of the town at the time. And, you know, here we have what is clearly religious discrimination, you know, an effort to basically bully Catholics uh, and, and, and devout Catholics at that. And, you know, of course, it's not a big deal because they're the right type of folks to, to go after. Um, but look, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, this is this is ultimately what we have to show. You know, there's a two tiered justice system here. And I actually think it's going to be very easy if Trump's the nominee, you know, to connect the indictments against him to these types of uh, actions by DOJ and by the FBI against the rest of us. And, you know, he has a famous line where he talks about, you know, they're not coming after me. They're going after you. And I'm just the only Mm -hmm. one standing in the way. And I think if that's the theme of the campaign and they really go after how the Biden administration is weaponized, the justice system, I think that's going to be really effective, and I think the American people are going to be pretty upset by uh, when they learn about all of this. I think you're right, John Schweppe, Policy Director at the American Principles Project. And we're going to come back, continue this discussion, and throw in a couple of other topics with John Schweppe. So uh, keep it locked right here. And, of course, if you have a question on any of this or a statement you'd like to make, feel free, 833-482-5337, 5337 This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. 
right, Familia, welcome back. We're on with John Schweppe. John Schweppe is the policy director at the American Principles Project. And we're talking about all things that are going on. There's a Republican debate that's coming up. There are issues facing families all across America. There's lots of American principles that are currently um, under threat by the current um, regime in the White House. And and it's it's patriots like John Schweppe that are out there doing the work on the front lines. And I'm glad you're here, John. Let's talk a little bit about um, what you see unfolding. Uh, I should say what you're following right now through the American Principles Project. What are some of the big projects you're working on? Well, we are a social conservative group. And so, you know, uh, with the exception of the the issue of abortion, the last few years have actually been pretty uh, darn exciting. Well, I guess on abortion as well. Uh, but, you know, we've really had a lot of breakthroughs on fighting against this woke transgender uh, agenda. And, you know, one of the things that's been so exciting in particular has been watching the Republican Party, which, you know, as you know, Rich, just a few years ago was uh, averse to a lot of these social issues, finally start to champion them and, and take advantage and and appeal to some of these voters who you know, find the left to be really extreme on this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, it started kind of with the Governor Yunkin's revolution here in Virginia in 2021. And, uh, you know, it's been it's been building since then. So that's been a big focus of ours. Um, and then also, you know, we got some exciting stuff coming down the pike with uh, age verification and online pornography. And that's going to be Whoa. a fun issue to talk about over the next year. Let me ask you a question, because there's there's always these crazy videos that you see on libs of TikTok and other places that that show these very radical people like people in, in my lifetime. I've not seen in real life, but I know they exist and I know they're in places like San Francisco and New York City and and other big um, metropolitan areas that are, are very um, um, left leaning. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I got a clip I want to play for you. It's a trans activist uh, from libs of TikTok saying that when. You know, kids know that they're transgender. And if a toddler tells you that they're trans, you got to believe them. Check this out. When a kid tells you that they're transgender, believe them. A lot of people will say that it's impossible for a four-year-old to know if they're trans or not. But actually, that's not true. They can know, and here's why. From day one, gender is baked into everything we do. Either have a boy name or a girl name. Boy toys or girl toys. Boy clothes or girl clothes. So from an early age, kids understand the difference between boy and girl. And more importantly, which one they're expected to be. So it makes sense that if what they feel inside is different than what they're expected to be, that they might feel uncomfortable and they might want to talk about that discomfort. And we all know that kids are good at talking about how they feel. For example, mommy, I skinned my knee. Mommy, someone called me a name on the playground. Or even mommy, I don't like wearing boy clothes. These are all similar feelings of discomfort that we can talk about to our parents. That's not to say that all kids will realize they're transgender when they're little. A lot don't. I didn't until I was 27, but I can't tell you how many people I've met that knew they were trans at four or five years old. So if there's a kid in your life who's telling you they're trans, please believe them. They know what they're talking about and your support might save their life. So this um, clownish weirdo, he, he says that kids know that they're transgender. And if a four year old tells you they're trans, you got to believe them. However, it, 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 I mean, 
I think this is absolute insanity. And there are adults that don't know this difference, but yet we're, we're supposed to believe that a four-year-old knows this. And, and I think this is a very dangerous place to be, a very slippery slope, because you start to get some well-intentioned parents hearing stuff like this, consuming it on TikTok and Instagram and other places, and they start thinking, hmm, maybe I always wanted a girl. Maybe my little boy wants to be a girl. What's wrong with that? You know, gender's a, 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 a construct of your mind, not a construct of biology. So what the heck? This is the new cool thing to do. And I find this crazy. I, I mean, call me whatever you want to call me, a bigot, a this, a this phobe, a that phobe. But I, I'm a dad of, of two girls. They've been girls since they were born. They're still girls today, thank God. But And, and I don't criticize people that are going through an issue with a child that has uh, gender dysmorphia. That's not my point here. My point here is that this this type of, I'm going to call it propaganda, it really, in my opinion, it isn't helpful to the national dialogue, but I don't want to curtail their ability to say what they say. I just think that we need to do better in our national conversation. And I know groups like yours are taking the lead on that, John Schweppe. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think, you know, the debate over this stuff, ultimately, it's it's changed a lot in 20 years, right? I mean, I certainly remember as a kid, um, you know, how important it was to defy gender, Right. So, you you know, you had we were trying to encourage girls to go out and play sports. We were trying to tell guys, you know, if you're into, into makeup, I guess that's fine. You know, uh, it's changed a lot in just 20 years. But, you know, the thing that really uh, that voters care about when you, when you start talking about kids and when you have a creepy teacher, uh, you know, saying that parents need to realize that a five year old knows best or whatever. You know, I have a five year old. If my five-year-old wakes up tomorrow and tells me he's a girl or he wants to wear a dress, I'm going to tell him, no, actually, you're a boy <laughs> and you wear boy clothes. One That's the role of a parent. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think it's really important that we have to, to push back against this. You're right, actually, and I, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the angle you took on it. You know, a lot of parents are being exploited in all of this. You have these medical professionals, you have these school professionals all of whom are telling them, hey, if you don't transition your kid, permanently sterilize them, they're going to go kill themselves, right? And so these oh. parents are being put under just, yeah, just a horrible situation. I think we need to make that stuff illegal. We need to make it where, you know, medical like professionals that. don't have the option to sterilize your kid. Yeah, I, I think that the safe and happy medium for all of this is, look, if you want to serve the United States military, you've got to be a certain age. If you want to vote, you've got to be a certain age. Buy cigarettes, a certain age. Um, buy a gun, certain age. All, all sorts of things. You have to be a certain age. But all of a sudden, to to have a sex change operation or undergo hormone therapy or anything like that, and not hormone therapy to help you, like if if you're prepubescent and and your doctor thinks you know you see an endocrinologist and they think you're not going to hit puberty on time to give you estrogen or to give you testosterone to help you be what you are. I'm talking about going the other direction. I, I think it's insanity. And there's a couple of doctors out there that say this, but they, they've hijacked this conversation from the top, and and it's many years coming, right? I mean, this is a little bit off, but not that different. You know, doctors like Alfred Kinsey and um, uh, Daniel Carlton Gajasek, these guys spent their careers in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, speaking to the American Pediatric Association telling them things like, you know, kids can experience orgasms, babies can experience mm -hmm. orgasms, children are highly sexual. And 
and, and I think this is sacrilege, right? You, this should not happen, but yet it's happening. And, and I just, for the life of me, can't figure out why. It's because, you know, unfortunately, we have allowed the far left woke progressives to capture every institution and push this stuff down our throats. And ultimately, the only way we're going to be able to stop this is through politics. And the good news is, you know, we've run countless polls, focus groups. And, you know, when you talk to normal people, even people who hate Donald Trump, are liberal on abortion, all sorts of things, you know, when it comes to this, they say exactly what you just said, actually. They say, you know, you're not allowed to smoke until you're 18. You're not allowed to, to make a sports bet. How can you make the decision to never have children, right? And, and this is the type of stuff that, you know, we have to really communicate. Um, yet, you know, we want to have yeah. compassion for everybody. But, you know, these types of irreversible surgeries and awful treatments, no way. We need to ban that stuff. 100%. John Schweppe, Policy Director at the American Principles Project. Check them out at AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. And we're coming right back with John Schweppe to wrap up. You're going to hear a little bit about what they're doing and how you can get involved. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And our guest, John Schweppe, he's the policy director at the American Principles Project. He's out there on the front lines, and if you want to support them, he's going to tell you how. John Schweppe. Well, we are on Twitter, or X, I guess as it's called, uh, at Mm -hmm. AP Project. And then I'm on Twitter as well, at John Schweppe. Uh, And then we have our small dollar program, Big Family. We called it that because... You know, we wanted to be like big oil or big pharma, except we actually want yeah. to fight for families. Um, and so you can join that over at our website, AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. Folks, join the big family lobby, the American Principles Project. They're doing great work out there. They're kicking butt and they're taking names. John Schweppe, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Thanks for being with us and staying up late. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Rich. You bet, brother. Take care. God bless. All right, folks, Open Phone America is coming up, and um, I can't wait to speak with you guys. There's a lot of stories out there. Congressman George Santos, who I just saw about an hour ago, uh, he's at, um, he was in Queens today uh, speaking out against illegal immigration. Then we go to Florida. We got a brawl that erupted at a chicken wing spot after women intentionally clogged the toilet. (laughs) We'll get to that as well. And there's a couple of other interesting stories I want to discuss. Plus, your calls, your opinions, your thoughts on all of the hot news stories of the day. Let's get it going on. Get your calls in now. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. And remember, call in early because if you call in at the end of the show, you may not be able to get on. Anyway, we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you this Tuesday evening. Our phone number, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation that we call Open Phone America, where you get to weigh in on any topic, plus the topics we've discussed, 833-485-337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And uh, tonight we've talked about a couple of different things. Of course, this is the third hour of the program, so if your station doesn't carry the first two hours of the program, make sure you contact your program director and let them know what you want to hear. Because we had an amazing interview with the Naked Cowboy, and we talked about everything from uh, Jason Aldean's song and, and Oliver Anthony's song and John Rich's new song to his support for Trump and the stuff that he faces in New York City with immigration and um, just the crime problem that there is. It was a great uh, interview. I had a lot of fun with it. He had his guitar. He was strumming along, singing throughout the interview. It was was a good time. And uh, we also had a really in-depth, deep dive with Dr. John Lott on how the Biden administration is constantly positioning the leading cause of death for children as gun violence, and that's nothing more than a myth, and that was exposed in that segment that we did. We did two segments with him. And um, not everybody has the opportunity that we have here on this program where we can have people from multiple segments, long segments. We're not talking just, you know, six minutes or three minutes like you'd get on TV or even some radio programs where we get a really deep dive with our guests. And uh, it was really, really an in-depth interview. And we also talked about some of the stuff facing families uh, with one of the representatives from the big family lobby. <laughs> Uh, the American Principles Project, and that was a really good interview, I think, with John Schweppe. Very eye-opening, the things that are going on in America. And I want to get your thoughts on those, plus a bunch of other things I want to talk about, because immigration continues to kind of run amok. Mexico's, I guess we're calling them their most elite cartel unit, now has a drone unit, an elite drone unit. And this is uh, some news coming out of uh, Ciudad Juarez in Mexico, One of the most violent cartels just created their own elite unit of drone operators, a highly trained group of Sicarios dedicated to tweaking commercial drones and turning them into flying bombs to use against rival cartels and Mexican authorities. This is interesting stuff. Now, Mexican officials and cartel members uh, revealed this to the Daily Beast. Now, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, CJ. NG for its Spanish acronym, began weaponizing commercial drones more than four years ago, according to researchers and Mexican authorities. This is fascinating. I mean, of course, this is happening, but usually you hear napalm bombs, this, that, you know, um, guns that they're stealing or buying. But this is big time right now. They got drones. It's like the cartel is already a very effective army and now they have drones. So it just makes me think if we don't step up our game at the southern border, We're going to be in a world of hurt. And earlier tonight, I was at a uh, an event, and and 
just on Sunday, twice this week, I've bumped into Congressman George Santos. And the elusive George Santos, he was coming on the show, then he didn't come on the show because he got into a lot of drama, and he's trying to let that die down, and he's trying to get reelected. And I'm hoping that we'll have him on the show. I'd love to have a conversation with him that you all could participate in. But uh, I saw him, and earlier today, he was in New York City in Queens discussing the, the, the craziness of illegal immigration. And I think that's a, a very important topic, even if uh, you know, you're questioning the messenger, Congressman Santos. But on this one, I got to say, I think he's right. And we have a clip of audio from that. Check this out. Immigration has become a humanitarian crisis in this country. This isn't about not wanting to help folks. This is about acknowledging that this is a crisis, a crisis led on by bad policy, a crisis that we, House Republicans, voted on H.R. 2 earlier this year, and House Democrats and, and, House, and Senate Democrats refused to advance a resolve. So now we're dealing with this here. A thousand migrants fit in the tents behind us. The same tent structures that we have out in El Paso, Texas, where I visited several weeks ago. Same exact structure. So to think that this is now here in, quite frankly, I call this a little suburb, the suburbs of New York City. So that's Congressman George Santos. And again, the New York Post has a piece that they wrote on this, and they described him as serial lying, scandal scarred Congressman George Santos, expressing outrage and indignation over New York's migrant crisis and mocking Democrats for fumbling the issue. I have to agree with that statement. Uh, the Democrats have truly destroyed this thing. I mean, we've got the cartel is now armed with drones. And we've got the mayor of New York City, who, again, he's on the front line. Where is he? Santos says the mayor is in Israel running away from the fact that this crisis is increasing. Now, Santos, who's under indictment himself and for fraud, money laundering and all that stuff, uh, he was... Uh, out there outside the Creedmoor Psychiatric Center, which is where Curtis Lewa got arrested and made his first phone call to this program <laughs> once he was released. So it's just so interesting to see that this continues to be an issue that's under addressed, I think, in the media. And we, we, need to, we need to get our hands on this so that our neighbors know, our friends know, everybody knows. This is not a, a Democrat versus Republican issue, in my opinion. Everybody is going to pay the price with unchecked illegal immigration in our nation. That's just the bottom line. This has nothing to do, like he said, about helping people. It has nothing to do with being anti-Hispanic, anti-African, anti-anything. It's about you can't displace yourself and your own people and put such a strain on the system that we have that's already stretched so thin. But here we are. This is what the Democrats are doing. So I want to go to the phones and um, get you guys to weigh in on any of our guests uh, tonight. We've had a lot of good discussions, like I said, on gun control and a bunch of other things, as well as this immigration issue. If you want to weigh in on that, the number is 833-482-5337. And after that, I want to get to this story. I really want to get to this one. I don't know why I find these stories interesting, but remember a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a big brawl in Alabama on a dock, and it was interesting to watch because it starts out looking kind of fake to me. The guy, you know, it looks like a WWE type of styled, you know, brawl. And then they start hitting people with chairs. But after you watch the video for a little bit, you're like, oh, wow, that's real. This is crazy. <laughs> and, and there were a bunch of memes immediately created that were very funny. People, you know, mocking them and recreating the videos in their backyards and whatever. And it, it was fun to, to mock, but 
it, it's a serious issue. Um, I, I mean, it wasn't really a serious issue, but it was a real fight is what I'm trying to say. But another fight broke out in Florida, and I want to get to that when we come back. But let's go to the phones real quick and uh, check in with Mary St. Joseph, Missouri, listening on KMA out of Iowa. Mary, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hello. It's so good to talk to you again. Thank you for taking my call. I was my listening pleasure, very intensely to all of your guests, but I, when, you, when the man was on that was talking about gun control, I agreed with a great yes, deal of Dr. what he Long. said, and I'm not anti-gun. However, this year we have had a gun manufacturer. The company is We One Tactical that is producing a two-pound JR-15 rifle that looks like an AR-15, only it's littler. And they were marketing Mm -hmm. it to children with a skull and bones, and the skull had a pacifier in its mouth. I just wondered, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I don't know much about it. I'm, I'm looking at the image. It doesn't seem to me that it's being marketed to children, per se. I think it has a a cartoonized uh, skull and bones on it. And ultimately, I mean, again, would it be my choice? No, but I I realize that there's a lot of interesting um, mascots and logos for lots of things. For example, um, there's a big insurance company, the Government Employees Insurance Company, GEICO. They use... A, a small lizard, a gecko, as their logo. Uh, Camel cigarettes had Joe Cool, the guy with the cigarettes and uh, the, the, the sunglasses on. I think everybody uses a different approach to try and market things. The, the I'm sure there's a story behind that little story, but I don't see that how that would necessarily be something that is for children. Now, I have seen some ads that people have posted where it seemed a little questionable how they were marketing things, but this one I can't say seems to be one. It doesn't look like a toy. It doesn't, uh, to me, come across as something that is, is, you know, in, in any way marketed to children. But, but I, I understand your point in that, you know, it's a skull and bones. I just, you know, immediately thinking of that, I think, I don't know, it's like a pirate fetish that they have. And the, the rum maker, uh, Captain Morgan, right, he's a very comical-looking pirate. And, and I just think some people try to... Um, to, they'll do anything, right, to, to get it out there. And and I don't think they're marketing Captain Morgan to children by making him look like Jack Sparrow or, you know, or something like that. I think ultimately people are just trying to to do something. Now, that's very different, in my opinion, when it's very clear, right, when you're making children-sized things. You know, if they were making a small gun uh, and, and marketing it to children, I'd say, well, it's probably problematic. Um, and And... If you like alcohol, if, you, if you're a wine connoisseur, and I'm not a wine connoisseur, but I enjoy the, the Malbec that comes from Argentina, you know, when you go to a website for that stuff, it, you have to, like, log in and say you're 21. And, again, kids can lie online, no doubt. But the point is that there are some controls in place, and ultimately it's up to the parents to, to control what, what their ch- children are consuming on the Internet or on social media. So I say all of that to say I think ultimately I believe in free speech. Let them market it how they want. If the market doesn't respond, then it didn't work, right? I think the true test of everything is the marketplace of, of uh, public opinion, the marketplace of, of the free market that will really decide. And, and if it were 
something that was, you know, a smaller size, you know, maybe marketed towards women who have made smaller, smaller hands and they're trying to say, you know, good for your kids or teens. I wouldn't necessarily be against that either, but that, I don't think that's the case here. I think it's just, you know, this, this cartoonized skull and bones with a pacifier in its mouth, which is silly, but I, I see so many skulls and bones all over the place. The, the Punisher logo is all over the place. People seem to like it and gravitate toward it and kind of make it a thing for, for their group or their belief or whatever. I, I, I'm not against it. I'll tell you what I am against is if you create bathing suits for boys that look like girls' bathing suits and say that it's tuck-friendly so that your child who may have male genitalia can wear a female one-piece or bikini and and safely tuck or hide their male genitalia. That, I think, is just crazy. And again, if they want to sell it, let them sell it. Uh, it's up to us to sound the alarm on people and say, look, I don't think that's a good idea. Target's doing that. It's on you if you want to buy things at Target or not and support that or not support it. So that's kind of where I land on it. But I thank you for your your uh, call because I think it was an interesting uh, an interesting take, um, and maybe I don't know enough about it, and we can find out more. But thank you, Mary. I appreciate it. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now eight three three four Valdez. That's eight three three four eight two. 5337 833 for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And, you know, Mary from Missouri brought up a good point that I'd like to get some of your feedback on. If you don't mind, take a second, give us a call. I want, I want to hear your thoughts on this. But do you think it's a bad thing for a, a, a smaller, a junior AR-15 that's marketed towards parents, really, right? Because your kid can't buy the gun anyway. But parents to buy, you know, their teenager's first gun or their 12-year-old's first gun or whatever, their 5-year-old, whatever it is when you want to start teaching your kids how to shoot. Is it, is it a bad idea? Is it vile, as Gavin Newsom was saying? Is it a vile thing that there's a, a gun that is safe for children to use, a little bit smaller that fits in their hands or for women who have smaller hands or men who may have smaller hands, anybody who wants a slightly smaller version of the AR-15 that they're calling the JR-15 and to, to be uh, their, their first gun to train them on gun safety and whatnot. Again, I, I don't see the issue in it um, because, again, a kid can't pass a background check or get a firearms ID card or anything like that. But it's an interesting thing, and maybe I'm just looking at it because, like, I was telling the folks in the break, my niece has a a nine millimeter. It's pink, and she's had it since she was 12, and she's been shooting it for years. Uh, so I don't personally see a problem with that. Uh, she's never shot anyone, never had an accident with it. She knows how to use it. She's a, a safe uh, firearm operator, if you will, and uh, I, I think that's the right way to teach your kids so that they don't, you know, learn the wrong way. But 
What do I know? So give me a call on that, 833-482-5337. We're going to get to your calls in a moment. I just wanted to circle back on this Florida brawl story, right? So this big brawl uh, erupted at a chicken wing spot after some women intentionally clogged the toilet at the restaurant. Five women intentionally clogged the toilet outside of a Florida chicken uh, wing restaurant over the weekend, igniting a brawl between the group and the employees. The incident began around 9 p.m. on Saturday at Papa B's in Longwood. It's a suburb of Orlando. And a supervisor told the authorities the women stuffed a restroom toilet with wads of toilet paper so that they would clog the toilet. The, the, these women were blamed because they were the only customers in the restaurant at all. Now, an employee cleaned the bathroom. However, one of the women went inside the bathroom afterwards, and the toilet was stuffed with toilet paper again. And that's according to the arrest report obtained by uh, Fox News 35. So the restaurant supervisor then told the women they needed to leave since it was almost closing time. The supervisor then found out the toilet was clogged again, and the women became uh, very upset by this. They were irate. They began yelling. Now, once they were um, told to leave, one of the women punched a supervisor in the face, and other women started kicking, punching, pulling hair, throwing things, according to the uh, police report. The uh, restaurant supervisor sustained a cut behind her ear and bruises on her leg and arm. Absolute insanity. Now, another employee came to help. The supervisor was catching a beating by these five women. And then one of the uh, women allegedly slapped her and began to throw chairs. The fight was eventually broken up by other store employees. And the women fled the scene. They knocked over chairs and were throwing salt and pepper shakers. They were detained by the responding police. And the women have been identified as Kenesha Charles, 18 years old, Taisha Charles, 19 years old, Kianda Charles, 24 years old, and Jasmine Klein, 26, as well as Jelena Smith, who's 20 years old. They've all been charged with disorderly conduct, battery, and criminal mischief. So the bigger issue here is people are just out of control. These people showed up to work in a restaurant, do their thing, and they were met with these unruly teenagers and young adults. And we see this all over. And when I was on the air in Philly, we saw it all the time. In New York City, you see it all the time. Young people are out of control, and this is indeed a problem. Anyway, your thoughts on that and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. We'll see a bunch of calls on the line. We're going to get to those momentarily. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're coming right back. You have some of the greatest shows that radio's ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, familia, welcome back. And there's a story in CNN, of all places, listen to this. Wind-powered cargo ship set sail in a move to make shipping greener. Now, at first notion, you think, wow, a wind-powered cargo ship. 
What a novel invention to go green, right? It's reminiscent of the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. So I will say to you uh, about sailboats, I will say to you this. That is a throwback to the time of Christopher Columbus, who, according to all my friends on the left, was a colonialist, right? A colonizer, an evil man, a very vile person is what they say. So now the Green New Deal has become the emblem of an evil colonizer. Hmm. Fascinating. The left eats their own all the time. Now, this is not necessarily a sailboat. Uh, these are, you know, big tankers. Uh, but they've put together this ship that operates on wind, uh, which in effect is a modern-day sailboat. They're making it some sort of convention. It's really, really not, in my opinion. But um, we could debate that later. I want to get to your calls because uh, we've got a lot of people that are dialing in to weigh in on our topic, our several topics. So let's go to Frank. He's in Akron, Ohio, W-N-I-R. Frank, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, thank you, Rich. It's an honor. Hey, I'm an old man, but there's a big difference between a 22 and a 223, an AR-15. Oh, yeah. And there was an egotistical, and I don't consider him a, a real hunter, that recently shot a moose with an AR-15. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think he's, I think he's an egotistical bastard looking to hold a record. But I don't think it's a hunter, and I was a hunter, that with any degree of mercy that people were going to use AR-15s to shoot something like a moose. Right. And, but I think your initial point is really, really the, the, the one that weighs in on this topic, that this JR-15, right, is, it looks like an AR-15. It's a little bit smaller, but it's, it's a twenty-two sporting rifle. It's not a two two three, which is a way bigger round. And, um, yeah, I've, I, I'm not a hunter, so I, I haven't shot any animals with any guns. <laughs> but I can tell you I shoot paper targets. But the, the, the debate here that this is somehow, you know, being marketed towards kids is really for me. I'm thinking kids can't buy guns. Um, parents have to buy guns for kids. And if you want to take your little one um, to target practice and, you know, train them in, in hunting or doing whatever, go right ahead and use a smaller round. I think that's the safe thing to do to start a kid off. Do you agree? I agree with you, Rich. And, and I think it's just a money-grabbing scheme by the gun manufacturers, you know, and, and I agree with you. Uh, when, when, you, when you go hunting anything bigger than groundhogs or something like a moose or deer or something, I think you need to have something with a little more punch. Right, and, so that they and, die. Uh, and you don't torture the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The last thing, my brother's a hunter. And I remember he started off as a fisherman, and then he moved into hunting. And I remember he went, and similar story, there was a bad shot or uh, too small of a round. Uh, either way, this deer, they didn't take it out. And he said it was it was the most horrible thing to to see a deer go through that agonizing pain when, you know, when they took the shot and it, it hit the deer, but 
you know, it was it wasn't good hunting, right? It was it was um, it was a bad experience for him, and uh, I totally agree with you. If you're hunting, get the job done. Don't sit there and you know go through something that could be, especially a moose. A moose is bigger than my car, and I drive a big SUV. You know, that, that's a, you need something with some stopping power to make sure that you, you're getting the moose, not, you know, A, pissing it off, or B, torturing the poor thing. So I'm, I'm with you on that one, Frank. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout-out to WNIR, Akron, Ohio. Let us continue. Let's go to Florida. Florida, Marco Island, Florida, WGUF. Let's go to Bob. Bob, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, hello. Good evening, Rich. Love your show. Thank you, sir. Uh, but my question, my question would be, when you hear the fellow on from the the, the progressive uh, movement, uh, I wonder. I listen to some of these, and this is fairly big down here, or the church I go to. Uh, mm-hmm. Why, why aren't these people asked to identify themselves, or at least asked why they're doing what they're doing with these children in some of the acts? Because I understand that they're they're very anxious to uh, and proud to say uh, that they uh, are of the homosexual community and the, and that they're and they're doing this because they think it's the right thing to do. But they like to identify themselves per se as being involved in that action, and I think you know, they ought to be identified. Yeah, listen. Well, this is an interesting uh, topic, right? Back in the eighties, there was. There was a lot of um, what was called gay bashing happening in in the Greenwich Village area of New York City. And they were going after uh, uh, flamboyant homosexuals that really took over the area. And that's where they live and they bought lots of property and it's it's a gay area. And many of the people that were, you know, um, critics of the, the change in the neighborhood and whatnot were saying, look, I don't care if you're gay, but just keep it in the closet. And and the members of the homosexual community felt like, look, we're gay, we're loud, we're proud, this is what we do. And I, I believe that's their right, whether I like it or not. And I have the choice to not go to the village with my children if I don't want them exposed to that or whatever and what have you. Right? That that everybody has a choice and everybody's free to identify as what they want to identify as. I think the issue that we see in Florida, especially with the public school, is that you've got local governments, school boards and whatnot, trying to I'm going to say usurp parental authority. And and I think this is really where the, the big issue is. Your child, uh, most parents, I believe, and again, speaking as a parent and as, you know, somebody who understands school boards and whatnot, you send your kid to school with the expectation that your kid is going to receive an education. And I think for a generation or many generations, the expectation was academic. And maybe somewhat social in so much as teaching politeness, manners, you know, even patriotism. But that has dissipated. And now we're teaching uh, what they like to call social emotional learning and different types of critical theory, critical gender theory, critical race theory and whatnot. That's a very, very hot topic because parents don't necessarily subscribe to that ideology. And if you are going to teach that, and I think it should be taught in the later grades or in college, like high school or something like that, you need to present it with the alternative view or people saying there are people that think that, no, you know, society was built on men and women having children and building a family. The cornerstone of of American society has really always been the American family, uh, the traditional family. 
So I think there's a debate to be had there, and it, I agree, it doesn't belong in schools. So I think people can call themselves whatever they want to call themselves. And I, I truly believe in the free marketplace of ideas. And if your idea is better than mine, then you're going to win. I can't stifle your idea because I don't like it, but I can speak out against it and say, look, I don't agree with that for the following reasons. I don't think children should be introduced to gender, sex, or any of that stuff in kindergarten through third grade, which is what Governor DeSantis proposed and then signed into law in the uh, uh, Parental Rights in Education Act, which the media falsely turned around and called it the Don't Say Gay Bill, uh, saying that, oh, now you can't say gay in school. Now, that wasn't the point. He was saying you can't say straight, you can't say anything. Don't teach that stuff to kids, period. They're here to learn. Don't um, over-sexualize or hyper-sexualize or sexualize, period, any of the kids. It's just not a good idea. So I think that's the, um, the, the crux of the issue. And uh, good on your church for speaking out against that. And, and you know, if, if the church doesn't take a role, if people don't take a role, everybody and anybody who cares about this stuff needs to do their part, whatever that part may be. We can't always rely on, you know, um, um, Schilling and John Schweppe and the American Principles Project and the American Family Association and all of these other uh, great big family organizations that are out there fighting for families. We can't rely on them all the time. We have to support and help and do our part. So I think it's important for people to be aware of these things, to have this conversation, and for parents to always have the right so that the school isn't teaching their kid, especially, you know, and if this sounds bad, I meant it, especially somebody who may be suffering from gender dysmorphia and identify this way, that way, or a different way that ends up teaching your kid's class. If you have this issue and that's your, your prerogative, you don't bring that into your workplace, especially when you're working with children, because your goal is not to indoctrinate these children or to normalize this in any way. But we've seen tape after tape and video after video of activist teachers actively trying to recruit, convince, persuade, and indoctrinate children to think that gender doesn't matter, whatever you feel like you can be. And I can tell you, my little girl, when she was in pre-K, before kindergarten, there was a little cute little graduation ceremony. She went to a, a pre-K out of a church called Little Blessings, and it was a very cute ceremony, lovely. And at the end, they asked the kids to, to, they asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they put it in the graduation program. And my kids said, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor and a watermelon because watermelons are really sweet, right? And I thought it was very cute and it was very funny. But again, a five-year-old that wants to be a watermelon can't be a watermelon, right? <laughs> Whether she was trying to be funny or not, or she thought it was fun or not, ultimately she can't be a watermelon. And I think that's up to parents to tell their kids what they have to do, not up to the school system. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. I'm going to take a pause right here. We're going to come right back to the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. the speed round early tonight. We've got calls from New York, Pennsylvania, Oregon, Ohio, 
Indiana. I love when America chimes in on the important topics of the day. Let's go to Paul, Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Go right ahead, Paul. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Rick. In order to be uh, very speedy, you are a conservative who moderates. Do you understand what I'm saying? Explain. Okay, well, you are conservative in the sense that you want to hold on to the values that, that are necessary and not go way too far out into the liberal way. But, but you moderate the presentation of the facts through your guests and your your moderate voice, actually, and, and rationality. I'm not trying to puff you up or anything, but you are different than any other uh, talk show host I've, I've ever listened to. And I think that's because you do do things in a moderate way, um, sticking to the conservative side, but not uh, going to the extremes and, and being moderate in what you do. Does that make sense now? It does. And I thank you for the compliment. I take it as a compliment. And don't worry about puffing me up. My ego can't get any bigger. Go right ahead. <laughs> Stop telling better jokes than I do. I'm the caller here. Anyway, um, I've come up by the grace of God, with several ideas to reduce gun violence. And I'll try to get two or three of them in. Uh, And I believe these have never been put together, uh, at least not that I'm aware of. One is that the, the issue should be gun safety, not gun violence. In other words, we want people to be able to have guns as long as they're legally able to. If they've done a crime with a gun, or even without a gun, and they're a felon, they shouldn't have a gun. If they've been shown to be psychotic, they shouldn't mm-hmm. have a gun, at least until they're... So um, everybody that's not in those conditions uh, should have a gun if they want one. Uh, secondarily, um, there should be a voluntary First Amendment change across our country, just as when an idiot runs out on a sports field, the cameras automatically turn away. When someone uh, commits a, a gun crime, kills somebody, there should be very little put into the newspaper, uh, the, the, not the picture of the person at all, maybe not even the name. So you're saying like the media, and I agree with you. I think that legally owned guns is where it's at. It's our Second Amendment right. We need to hold on to that. We need to explain it, I guess, so people understand the Constitution and and the, the, the importance of that. And the media does take this, and they go way left with it. And it's, it's a shame, but that's what I'm here for. That's what so many of my colleagues are here for. That's what you're here for. We, we need to educate everybody that we can on these issues so that we don't get duped. Paul, I thank you. I wish we could get to the rest of your points, but I have to uh, move on because we're going to hit a break and I don't want to cut anybody off. But we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead with the speed round. Paul, very kind. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. In live late night radio, six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, we go to David, White Valley, Pennsylvania. KDKA, go right ahead very quickly. Hey, really nice to talk Welcome. to you, Rich. First time. 
Thank you, David. Uh, my thing is, with uh, listening to local radio lately, KDK Pittsburgh, nobody wants to go downtown anymore. And that was a big conversation for the last two days on the radio station down there. And Why? What's going on downtown? Oh, violence and restaurants closing because of all the violence downtown. Uh, homeless people hanging out everywhere. And everyone's saying it's turning, it's turning into the new Portland or those places in Seattle. You, you're right. There, there is so much unchecked crime because there's been an overturn of law and order through what I call pro-crime progressive prosecutors that don't prosecute anything. And all they do is enhance the crime. And they say they knew it. They do it in the name of social justice. But really, what, where's the justice for society? It's not happening. People are are losing their quality of life. Property values are probably going to go down eventually. Businesses are closing because the Democrats, I wish if you could find me a handful of Republicans that are pushing these policies, I'll criticize them, too. But I just don't see it. And you're right, David. I appreciate the call because this is something we need to talk about. And I'm glad that you guys are talking about it on KDKA. Let's continue. Let's go to Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, super fast. Hey, great show. I want to tell you, schools are definitely pushing the LGBT agenda. I know this. I went to middle school, private school in Brooklyn. I won't mention the name. When mm-hmm. I was growing up, they had gay teachers. Teachers didn't talk about their sexuality. They were just good teachers who just happened to be gay. I happened to look on their webpage for Kicks and Giggles recently, and they have pictures of kids from the school wearing school T-shirts marching in a pride parade. Now, if that's not indoctrination, I don't know what is. You're right, Sarah. And it, 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 it should be that way, right? And you also shouldn't talk about being straight if, if you're being fair, right? I'm not going to sit here and say, well, the reason you need to grow up and marry a woman is you, that's just not the conversation you're having. You're having the conversation of here's the curriculum, here's what I'm teaching you. And that's why it's important to be on a school board so you can make sure that you have a say and a vote on what happens with curriculum. Great call, Sarah. I appreciate it. Let us go to Michael in Pendleton, Oregon. Go right ahead. Yeah, hey, Rich. Uh, I'll try to call in earlier next time. So I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah, I, you know, quick point. Do you think um, any of these charges against President Trump have a uh, chance of sticking? So I don't think they're eventually going to stick, but I think they're going to do the damage that they're hoping that they're going to do right now. And that's why it's important for us to know the facts and to stay up to speed on these things, because they're prostituting the justice system to go after El Trumpito. And really, they're going after you and me and the rule of law. Folks, that's it for me. They're kicking me out. The music means we got to go. Linda, I'm sorry. We'll get to you tomorrow if you can. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless. I am Rich Valdez, and I'll see you tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.